This is the Tao of Christ, and I am Marshall Davis. In this podcast, I explore the mystical roots of Christianity, which Jesus called the Kingdom of God, which I refer to as Christian non-duality, unitive awareness, or union with God. Others call it non-dual awareness, liberation, enlightenment, or spiritual awakening. It is the heart of all spiritual traditions. This is the Tao of Christ. Good morning, this is Marshall Davis. This episode today is on the Tower of Babel. It is the last of a series that I've been doing on interpreting the book of Genesis from a non-dual perspective. The story of the Tower of Babel is found in the 11th chapter of Genesis, and it marks the end of the first section of the book. Genesis can be divided into two parts. Chapters 1 and through 11 are universal in scope. They deal with all the earth, all people, and what we might call a universal spirituality. Starting with chapter 12, the focus of the book narrows down to Abraham and his descendants. In particular, it focuses on Abraham's descendants through Isaac and then Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel and became the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. Jacob's twelve sons became the twelve tribes of Israel. From chapter 12 on, Genesis becomes centered on Israel, the Jewish people, and the God of Israel. And God is depicted for the most part as a tribal God, a Jewish God. He became a national deity. He was at first a henotheistic God, meaning that the Jews acknowledged other gods but only worshipped the one God of Israel. But then in later prophetic books, the Hebrew God became a monotheistic deity, meaning they understood that there was only one God. Consequently, after chapter 11, non-dual themes are few and far between. For that reason, I'm ending my talks on Genesis with chapter 11. Fortunately, here in chapter 11, we have a great passage that communicates important truth about non-duality. The story of the Tower of Babel can be read on different levels. On one level, it is a myth that purports to explain the origin of different languages. The ancient Hebrews looked around, and they saw all these different peoples with all these different languages, and they began to wonder where all these people and these languages came from, so they came up with a way to explain it. The genealogies in chapters 10 and 11 explain the the lineage of these people, how they all descended from Noah. The myth of the Tower of Babel seeks to explain how different languages originated after Noah, according to this story. On another level, the story is political commentary. The setting is Shinar, which is Babylonia. The term Babel is a form of Babylon. Babylon was one of the major enemies of the Hebrew people. Babylon is the empire that destroyed the Jerusalem temple and carried the Jewish people into exile. So this story on a political level is about the fall of Babylon and the Babylonian Empire. It can be read as anti-empire literature. 
the same way as in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, which, by the way, uses the symbol of Babylon for Rome, is anti-Roman empire literature. Revelation is not a map to the end times. On this level, the story of the Tower of Babel contains a lot of warnings applicable to the dangers of empire today. A good preacher can draw parallels with empires throughout history and empires today, especially the aspirations of superpowers like China and Russia and the U.S. But my concern today is the spiritual message of non-duality in the story of the Tower of Babel. In this sense, the story is a warning to all philosophies and religious systems and the communities that form around these spiritual ideas. It is as relevant to non-dual spiritualities and the other type. As such, it's the perfect way to end the series on Genesis. The story begins saying, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. In other words, they were united not only in language and vocabulary, but the meaning of the language vocabulary. That's a big deal. People these days seem to mean a lot of different things by the same words. For example, take the word God. A Muslim means something very different than a Hindu does, and a Christian means something different than a Buddhist does, or as an atheist does. They all mean very different things by the same word. The Tower of Babel shared not only the same words, the same vocabulary, but what those words meant. They shared a common world view, you could say, and values. In Christianity today, it is common to hear people talk about the Christian world view or the biblical world view. And by that, they mean the values and teachings uh, in what Christians call the Old and New Testaments. In my country, some Christians believe that the United States was founded on this Christian worldview and that the government should promote this worldview and its values and beliefs. We find the same sort of thinking in other cultures and nations, in the Islamic nations, in the Islamic worldview, in India, in the Hindu worldview, or Buddhists in the Buddhist worldview. This type of religious nationalism is growing in the world today. The Tower of Babel addresses this type of thinking. It pictures a people united in a common culture, religion, and worldview. In the Genesis story, all the people of the world are united as one people with one culture. They have achieved world domination, you could say, and world peace in a human kingdom. And in reading Genesis, one might think that was a good thing. After all, God destroyed the whole world with a flood, it says, because the earth had been divided and filled with violence. God's restart through the flood seemed to have succeeded in creating a world that was united and at peace. One language, one people. This people decided one day to build a monument to their achievement. 
There's a lot of talk these days in America about monuments. We are tearing down Confederate monuments and building other monuments. Monuments symbolize the values of the culture. The Tower of Babel was such a monument. Historically speaking, the writer was picturing a Babylonian ziggurat, which we know well from archaeology. It was a Mesopotamian stepped pyramid that had religious and cultural significance, much like the other pyramids of other cultures found throughout the world. These huge towering structures are symbols of the culture, including the religion of the culture. It took a lot of cooperation among people to build these huge structures. That is what is being pointed to in the story of Babel. The Tower of Babel is symbolic of the human ego, the national ego, the religious ego. In the time the book of Genesis was being finalized, this was represented by the most powerful empire in the Middle East, Babylon. And the final editor of Genesis was undoubtedly thinking of its downfall. And the author of the book of Revelation, written centuries later, had the destruction of the Roman Empire in mind. There is a danger inherent in all cultures and religions to build monuments to themselves and their spiritual vision. In the story of the Tower of Babel, the people said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. As soon as we do that, as soon as we want to build a name for ourselves and our religion, we have forgotten what spirituality is really all about. As we saw in the creation story, we saw that naming was the beginning of duality. As soon as we name something, we have caused separation and duality. That's why Jesus never named his movement. Even the early days of the Christ movement, his, simple, his followers didn't have a name for it. They simply called it the way, meaning the way of Christ. As soon as the movement took on a name of Christianity and saw itself as different and superior to other religions, it was an indication that the so-called followers of Christ had forgotten what Christ and the way of Christ was all about. And this tendency is as true in non-dual spirituality as in any dualistic religious system. Non-dual philosophies and communities built around non-dual teachers can build a name for themselves. We need to be careful when that starts to happen. Non-duality at its best does not name itself or distinguish itself. As soon as we give it a name, it is duality. The word non-duality itself is an attempt to avoid that tendency, 
tendency, it's an attempt to not name itself. But the non-name can become a name. The people of the Tower of Babel celebrated oneness and unity. They saw themselves as one people with one truth, one language, one religion, one spirituality, one world view, and they were one and they were proud of it. Proud enough to erect a monument to oneness. In reality, it was a monument to ego, albeit an ego that considered itself a very spiritual and enlightened ego. That's the danger of hypocrisy in all spiritual movements, including non-dual spirituality. The danger is that we forget, forget that non-duality is not a religion. It's not a philosophy or a theology. Non-duality can easily forget that, forget what it is, and fall into a dualistic mentality. The Tower of Babel symbolizes spirituality that sees itself as one, one truth, one way, with its spire in the heavens. The story says that they wanted a tower with its top in the heavens. In other words, they were constructing a stairway to heaven. Those ancient ziggurats were designed as symbolic mountains with their summits in the clouds. Religions see themselves as stairways to heaven. They think that their beliefs and their practices and their rituals will ensure that they will reach heaven or salvation or enlightenment or awakening or whatever you want to call it. Even the most open-minded people are vulnerable to this. You have probably heard the expression that some people say that all religions are different paths up the same mountain. It is meant to be an expression of religious tolerance. And I am all for religious tolerance. But think about that image for a moment. It assumes there is a mountain to climb to get to a destination. And that's the error of the Tower of Babel. The truth is there is no mountain. There are no paths. The kingdom of God, not up in heaven, it is here now. There's nowhere to go and nothing to do. It is simply a matter of one's eyes opening to reality. But religions want to make it into an achievement that the ego can own and take pride in. In the story of the Tower of Babel, God brings a halt to the construction of this stairway to heaven. In other words, it brings a halt to religious systems that think that they can provide a path to heaven and then direct people to it by words and by doctrines. And God stops all this by undoing language. In the opening chapter of Genesis, God brings the world into existence through language, through naming. Here, God undoes language 
so that no one can name the truth in words and thoughts and doctrines and worldviews. No one has the truth. The truth has us. There is no stairway to heaven. When one knows truth, one does not build monuments to it and attach names to it. One does not build monuments or temples or churches or mosques. One does just the opposite. One seeks the lowest place, as Jesus said, and as the, the Tao Te Ching says, like water that seeks the lowest place, not the highest place. That's what all the great spiritual teachers of the world have taught. Genuine spiritual teachers do not set out to found a religion or to make a name for themselves. They empty themselves and simply point to the nameless. To build a monument and a name is to invite disaster. That is the, the message and the warning of the Tower of Babel. And that is it for today. Grace and peace to you. That is the Tao of Christ for today. Thank you for listening. You can access other episodes of this podcast at thedowofchrist.com. You can also find these podcasts in video format at my YouTube channel at christiannonduality.net. My blog, Spiritual Reflections, can be found at marshalldavis.us. There you will also find a link to my books and my email address. Join me next time for another episode of The Tao of Christ. Mm -hmm.